Hello, I'm Marie Hitzneiman. Welcome to Calm, Clear and Helpful, a weekly podcast series on taking good care of yourself and others. Introducing you to wellness professionals ready to inform, assist and inspire. Today's topic is starting a family, crucial questions regarding parenting, pregnancy and birth. My guest is Cosette Loebscher, Advanced Baby Gym Instructor, Birth Doula and Childbirth Educator. Welcome, Cosette. Thank you so much, Mariette. To our listeners, after our conversation, it will be fun question time. Cosette, today we're focusing on parenting. You're a mum yourself. Would you like to tell us a little about your family? Oh, I'd love to. <laughs> Um, I'm a mom to Ulrich, who's three years old, and Jürgen, who just turned one last week, and they're absolutely the light of my life. Um, I'm very grateful to be married to a wonderful husband, um, Cornelius, uh, who's also an amazing father. So I must say, this has been the amazing gift to our marriage, the children. Certainly hard, as most parents would tell you, but it has been the most incredible adventure we love it we're totally in love with our children we're in love with our lifestyle and i think that is why i'm here today is we would really like to see more parents enjoy it so much um, because it is hard work mm. but it can also be the best time of your life it's not the one or the other i think yes and i think that's why we're passionate about sharing information about this time to better equip you know the people around us yes very well said can you tell us more about your work? Sure. So I've been uh, involved with the Baby Gym Institute for 16 years. I work alongside my mom there, Dr. Meredith Diach, who's the founder and also the author of many books on brain and body development. So it's, you know, uh, needless to say, she's been an amazing mentor and inspiration to me. Uh, I learned a massive load of things over the last years and it's actually become a lifestyle. Um, so Baby Gym is a very, very big part of my life. It's my full-time profession. We work with many instructors across South Africa and Namibia, and we basically present classes with mom and dad and all the, you know, the parent and the baby in class, um, and very basic things on how to ensure that little one's senses, brain, and muscles are developing well. Because in the first, I'll, I'll talk later on, Mariette, about um, the incredible brain growth just in the first year alone. But it's the simple things that bring you know, the biggest growth um, and the biggest joy. And it's just about, again, creating awareness about how parents can include this as a lifestyle. Yes, so that's Baby Jim. Um, in 2017, towards the end of the year, I had an immense, I almost want to say urgency to learn more about birth physiology. That's not something that we covered in Baby Jim. It's not something that my mom, you know, the area my mom comes from, so it was the first time that I felt like I need to go and learn further outside of baby gym. And so um, I had known the work of Michelle O'Dar, he's an obstetrician, a French obstetrician residing in the UK. Uh, and I wanted to learn from him specifically. Uh, also at that time I didn't know doula courses were offered in South Africa. So uh, we travelled to the UK, my mom and I together. She said she's not missing out on this learning opportunity. <laughs> that sounds very typical of Melody. <laughs> it does say, <laughs> Um, so we went together, which was, it was an incredible experience. It was life-changing, really, because uh, I think when uh, you, you learn a lot about their nature and their philosophy, it's a lot more than just content. And 
and it changed my life. After that, I thought um, I'd now like to learn more about childbirth education. So I went on to study through Childbirth International. Uh, and that was the rest of 2018 and I qualified early 2019. And approximately two weeks after qualification, I learned I was pregnant. And we waited for this baby for three years. So I just felt the timing of it all was just incredible. And I mean, so I almost want to say, so childbirth education and the qualification as a birth doula was really um, to enrich myself. I wanted to understand things better. Specifically, we're going to talk about the birth culture and the birth um, system in South Africa. I couldn't marry what I was learning and what was happening. And it, it has been the most amazing journey. Um, I would say birth is more passion. You know, I'd literally, after hours, I'd read. I love it. Uh, but it's not at this stage, it's not a paid part of my, my day and my life. But it's, I'm completely fine with it <laughs> remaining a passion. And maybe when my kids are older, I'd like to do, do a bit more birth work. Mm. I think it's an amazing um, field. Mm. I just want to tell the listeners that it sounds as if you're doing many things, but we are going to attach to the podcast the necessary website links. Thank you. So if... So if you're listening and you think there are many things mentioned here, it will all be very clear in the podcast notes. Now, starting a family cosette is daunting. Mm -hmm. I don't think one has any idea before one gets there. I definitely didn't. And couples thinking about embarking on parenthood have many burning questions. One of these questions is, how do I know whether my partner and I are ready to start a family? Okay, so I think <laughs> this is not the question, the answer I prepared, but I think it's important to say you're never completely ready. <laughs> True. <laughs> you know, I think we, 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 a lot of things we're talking about today are ideals. And somewhere between ideals and real life, you have to find your own personal fit. So I'm talking about ideals. <laughs> <not yet. laughs> um, so um, ideally, you should be in a place of safety. So neuroscience, which is the science of the brain, I'm sure your listeners know, um, is now emphasizing a lot about how important safety is the very start of brain development. And that's feeling safe, secure, that translates to attachment. And the ultimate beginning of attachment is in utero. Before that is the, the two parents' readiness and attachment before they conceive. So I really want to, if that's all a listener remembers, attachment and feeling safe and secure is incredibly important. It's not something up in the air that's warm and fuzzy. It's, it's part of our biology. It is incredibly important for brain development. So feeling safe and secure starts with physically, do I feel safe and secure in this relationship? In my area, do I feel safe and secure? If you think of the primitive you know, times, um, it was very physical, you know, is there a predator, do you need to find a place of safety? So it's important to say that in terms of the brain, it's not only physical threats, it's also perceived threats. If you feel your partner is constantly attacking you, you, your body might go and your brain might go into a place of fight and flight. That is not the ideal environment or conditions, not environment, conditions for conceiving a baby and growing a, a a little one in a very very sensitive time so physically feeling safe emotionally feeling safe in that relationship and also financially feeling safe what does that mean are my basic needs met 
Do I have a roof over my head? Um, and is there predictability in our in our um, relationship? Not to an extent where it's boring, obviously, but do I feel safe and secure? And then, Mariette, this is a very somber thought, but if this romantic relationship would, would end, is this person still a mature, stable person that, if I'm out of the picture, can raise this child we have together in a physically safe place, emotionally in a safe place, and financially, is there some form of you know, safety, predictability, um, because that, that is the basic, if you think of, um, is it Maslow's? Maslow, yeah. Yes, um, hierarchy of needs. It's the very basic place that we need to develop from. So we always, in terms of brain development and our work in, as baby gym instructors, we all, always talk about feeling safe and secure. And I'm going to use that interchangeably with attachment and connection, bonding, before we can go to a place of learning, because that's what development means. Does that make sense? That is such a sensible way of looking at it. I've never thought of it that way, but it just makes sense. I'm glad. Because, <laughs> yeah, because if I think back to having small children, you really wonder what you should do, mm. and there should be a base of safety. Yes. That's where you come back to. Yes. So even if you make the... In, in air commerce, the wrong decision, yes. at least you have a base that you can Absolutely. come back to because you are going to, to do things that afterwards you think, mm, maybe that wasn't completely what I should Absolutely. have Absolutely. But if you, if, you think, if you think of relationships where there's a very strong attachment, you can have fights and you can forget it very, you know, you, it can resolve or you can kind of digest it, if I can use that word, very quickly. Whereas if it's a complex relationship where you're not sure where you stand with that person, it's very difficult to resolve conflict. And what's the difference between those two? The one, there's a very secure attachment. You know it's not personal or it's not this big thing. And it's exactly the same. Mm -hmm. If you go back to a place of I'm wanted, I'm accepted, I'm safe, everything else... Um, yeah, and now my brain's going to the biology of that, but I think that that becomes too complex. Yes. It's fascinating, really. Yes. Now we're coming to practical questions regarding pregnancy. The first issue concerns the choice of care provider and the choice of birth route. Perhaps you can just explain what is meant by care provider and birth route. Okay. And then we're going to look at how to make these choices. Okay. So um, I use the word care provider because it, come, it becomes difficult when you have to choose um, a medical professional. Like, for instance, in South Africa, we call the person doing the cesarean section a gynae, but internationally it's called an obstetrician. In South Africa, you can have either a nurse or a GP or an obstetrician or a midwife deliver a baby. So it becomes very technical. So if, if it's okay with you and the listeners, I uh, prefer to just talk about the care provider because then you apply the person to your situation, um, to that context. And then the other one was birth route. Yes. So birth route in, in broad terms would be cesarean section, which is sometimes called a cesarean operation or a cesarean birth. Um, and then we have... <laughs> So many terms for what was previously known as a natural route. 
But I think people find it kind of offensive to now be told, but your root is not natural. Yes. So some prefer a, physiolog- a physiological birth. But a physiological birth is a lot more than just a vaginal birth. Vaginal birth is self-explanatory. The baby is born through the vaginal root. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean it is physiological or natural because f- physiological means the labor started completely on its own. No interference, no medication, no physical manipulation. So it's completely, it's the baby and the mom's body that direct that process completely. And the same with, they call it the, the third stage of labor, is when the placenta is born, the bleeding stops. Until that happens, there's no interference. That's called a physiological birth. Oh, I see. So no medication or anything? Nothing. Most vaginal births in South Africa have some form of interference. Yes. A lot, actually. So it's very difficult to talk, and that's just easier to talk about birth route. And again, you apply where you fit within those, you know, on the spectrum, where do you yes, fit Yes, anything from, from cesarean section to what you have now described as a physiological birth. Absolutely. Yeah. So when and how does one make these choices? So I would say before you conceive, for the very almost simple reason that it takes a lot of time and deliberation. And just going back to fight and flight, as soon as there's a time limit on something, okay, from from this week to the next week's appointment, I need to make a decision. You make different decisions. Whereas you want a lot of conversation with your partner, you want to visit preconceived ideas and beliefs, which we don't know we have. You know, it's that unconscious kind of, I'm not sure what the term is for Subconscious. Yes, absolutely that. Um, So I want to say, first of all, as soon as possible, if you think of committing to a relationship and starting a family, I would definitely start to investigate it. But be curious, you know, keep it light. If it draw, if something draws you, find out about it. If something irks you, if it makes you very fearful, be curious why. Because only when you, you start to gather information can you really start to make informed decisions. If it's just, you know, that's always how we've done it, that's why we do it, it's not really an informed decision. And I think in the, in the modern times we, we live, you have to really take responsibility for your own life, for your own health, and that is why it's important to be curious. And as a parent, I think it was quite a surprise to me how many difficult conversations you have to have if you're an invested parent and if you want to make decisions in the best interest of your child. So I almost want to say it's, t- it's a time to become comfortable with asking tricky questions. Mm-hmm. It's not nice. I like peace. <laughs> I'm not someone who likes conflict. And that, I think, time and understanding and thinking about things makes it easier to have those conversations. So um, it's a time to have conversations with your partner about your family history. Did my mom have caesarean births? Did she have physiological births? How many? Why? What were the circumstances? What about my sisters? What about my best friends? And then just reflect. Do, can I resonate with this? Can I not resonate? And this is so important because oftentimes the two parents don't have the same belief system about birth. And we tend to think, but okay, but then it's the woman's body, the woman chooses. But put yourself in the other parent's shoes. It's half their child, but then they don't have any say. It's a very, very uncomfortable place to be in. So those conversations, I think, 
happen a lot more peacefully when there's not an actual pregnancy taking place yet. But of course, if you are pregnant already, it's never too late to ask these questions. We're talking about the ideals again. Yes, again. Okay, so now that you have a better idea of your belief systems and biases, it's a, it's a good starting place to ask, what are my birth options? And then I think I've touched on this earlier, fear alone should never govern your decisions. Be curious about fear. Again, pregnancy and parenting, it's the start of parenting, is such a wonderful time to let go of fear and to not carry that over onto your child or into the rest of your life. Um, I would really take that opportunity and I would explore it. Again, it can be uncomfortable. But if, if you're guided by professionals who welcome this process and facilitate this process inside a, an environment of feeling safe and secure, it can be incredibly liberating, I think, and freeing. I think freeing is maybe the better word. Um, so I would definitely explore that more. I think this may be the right time to ask if you refer to professionals that can guide you. Who are you talking about? I actually don't at this stage, Marie, because I haven't really been practicing in the birth field. Mm. So for my own births, Mm. there's people that I I would trust, you know, with my life. So I would definitely, if someone is from the same area as me, um, and then there's authors and there's websites that I could certainly refer to, which I think have a, a tremendous role to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, should I mention them now? You can. I'm, I just want to say that I suppose the field is birth education, or what? Yes, what I'm talking to be. Yeah. yeah so, so sorry. I think I'm mixing a, a, a many different fields. So in terms of letting go of fears, that's nothing to do with childbirth education. I think that would more be um, psychology. That is what I was wanting to know. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So sorry. Thank you for clearing that. I'm mixing quite a few different mm-hmm. areas because my mind is a highway of thoughts at the moment but um yes so so that is something completely out of my field and expertise Mm -hmm. but yes in terms of learning about birth roots and the way of doing things and evidence-based care i certainly um can point Mm -hmm. listeners to Mm -hmm. to many many um really Mm -hmm. reliable sources are those sources available on your sensible birth website most of them would be yes um, they would def- definitely feature somewhere on the website, but most certainly on my Facebook page because, the, you know, that's where more um, weekly posts are made and there you would definitely see a bigger um, traffic. of. Otherwise, of you could just mention a couple off the top of your head. Yes, I can. So Michelle O'Dar is an incredible pioneer in the birth world. Um, he has a wonderful platform called Primal Health Research Data Bank. And there he gathers information. And I mean, he's 90, over 90 years now. Really? Yes. And he's still practicing, not not as an obstetrician and a midwife, but as a a presenter for doula courses. So it just shows you the passion behind the work. Um, But that that data bank is dedicated to making links between birth and disease. So it is fascinating. And obviously it might might not be so user-friendly because it's very academic. But fascinating if you really want to go in depth into understanding things. But he's, he's got numerous books. Um, one of his books, most recent books, is uh, Do We Need Midwives? Which is a thin little book which is invaluable. Ina May Gaskin, she is um, from Tennessee in the United States, also a lecturer and a midwife. The, the community is called The Farm Midwives and uh, amazing 
a combination again between academic and being responsible with information, but sticking to our biology and what is more natural. Uh, Penny Simkin is also, all of the, these uh, um, professionals are 70 plus. Uh, Penny Simkin is a, a physical therapist and the founder of Doulas of North America. Amazing work, Melody Diaga, who is from Baby Jim and my mother and my mentor. Incredible in terms of more parenting and brain development and physical development and milestones. Um, so there's, there's quite a lot. Um, there's a, a website called Evidence-Based Birth. The lady is a, has her PhD in birth and uh, it would probably be more correct to say in nursing and specialising in birth. Um, and her, her full-time job is just dedicated to looking at what the research says. And are we really doing something out of convenience or this is how it's been done for 15 years or is that really what the evidence shows? Um, and just interesting, Mariette, while I say that, she says there's a 15-year delay between evidence and changes in practice. Goodness. Yes, 15 years is a long time. Many babies are born in 15 years. So it is so important that parents educate themselves, that they go directly and they don't wait for a system to, to direct them, if that makes sense. It does. And what I'm going to do is to mention all these people's names and the websites in the podcast notes. So that will help people decide on birth route. Cosette, another important issue relates to a couple's medical aid and financial position. Could you please discuss this? Yes, I think that's very important. And once again, before pregnancy, because if you need to make changes, you need to do that before being pregnant, ideally. Um, so, Maria, I'm, I'm going to give you my own birth as an example. I think, again, there's a lot of medical aids, there's different plans, so you have to take information and apply to what is applicable. So, I had a very good medical aid, I still have. And um, the assumption was, in my head, which is silly, you should never make assumptions about birth, the assumption was whether I choose a physiological birth and it costs 12,000 Rand, or whether I choose a caesarean section and that could range from 25,000 to 100,000, my medical aid would have a sum available, let's say call it 35,000, and if my birth costs less than that, then they would pay it in full. If my birth cost more than that, then there would be an excess I would need to pay. No, completely wrong assumption. Oh. Yes. So I opted for a home birth. So a home birth, just uh, by, you know, for interest sake, is the, the, the cheapest birth route. <laughs> and so I obviously chose it for very different reasons because I had a, a full medical aid. So it definitely wasn't a financial uh, decision that we made. Um, and from this 12,000 rand, only 4,000 rand was covered by what? the medical aid. So although it was the cheapest birth route, it cost us more out of pocket than the most expensive birth route would because policy says if it happens in hospital, it is covered to full extent. So please, please, please don't put yourself in a position where you make choices based on affordability. If you are serious about your birth choice and it costs less or it costs more than what your medical aid covers, be curious. Go around. There are medical aids that cover home births better or physiological births more um, comprehensively than others. And I almost want to say the, say the activist in me wants to say we really need to put more pressure on the medical aids to 
to support the birth route that really cost less because it makes absolutely no sense, especially in a third world country, to prioritize an expensive way of bringing babies into this world. It doesn't. In order to make decisions, couples need solid information. How does a couple know which experts to consult on which issues? If I wanted to start a family and I'm not sure about the birth route because we're talking about which expert to to consider for which issue, how would I go about it? I mean, where would I start searching if I were to go onto the internet and wanted to find the right expert? Okay. Very, very good question, Marie, because I think that that finding the care provider puts you on a very specific path. So that is a brilliant question to start the entire journey with. So what often happens is um, parents go onto the medical aids website and they say, who is the care provider closest to me that's covered in full? So it's a very, I almost want to say, practical thing. And then I think the assumption, once again, is often, once I arrive at the first consultation, I will let this care provider know what my wishes are. I want a physiological birth. I want a cesarean section, for whatever reasons. And I think what first-time parents specifically need to understand is that person becomes a specialist in their field, just like any other profession. So they have a very specific way of looking at pregnancy, of looking at birth and guiding their clients there. So if you are interested in a physiological birth, consult with someone who spends more than 80% of their time with physiological births. If you're interested in a cesarean section, consult someone who spends 80% of their time tending to women in theatre. That way you get someone specialised in their field, passionate about their field, And obviously, everything they do is geared towards it. I don't think, I think the mistake we often make is we think someone who uh, studied 12 years knows the most about everything and it makes them the most qualified in everything. And we, we completely ignore the fact that it's very, very different fields. And there are, there are care providers who do both. But in South Africa specifically, it's incredibly rare. And that's for various reasons, for litigation, for insurance, for various reasons. It's very difficult to practically merge a practice. But like I said, it's available. The guy who tended to me uh, worked alongside a midwife. So I feel like I got the best of both. I got a, a guy who was incredible in his field, but very respectful towards the natural process. And I had a midwife who absolutely trusted the guy should should there be an emergency that they would be on the same page and I think that in my in my book is the most incredible team because you have the option or you have the opportunity for nature to take its course but should there be a real emergency and I say a real emergency because that differs from care provider to care provider and place of birth to place of birth but should there be a real emergency you're in safe hands. And I think in in terms of point in time, it's the first time really we've had both. You know, 200 years ago, if you you were in a really sticky situation, it could be very, very uh, dangerous. And we passed that stage where it's one or the other, but we need to be aware of the 
um, pendulum of going either way where, where we don't value our biology's natural way of doing things and thinking that everything you know is is exactly the same it's not quite we have to understand uh, our biology and we have to understand triggers in our biology to understand how birth is not a one-day event it's something you have to zoom out of see a very very wide lens and see that it, it's very much linked to microbiome to immunity to health to mental health to brain development and I, I don't I don't know if there's enough education around that yet you're now talking about the baby's brain development etc but of course the mother must also be cons- considered absolutely and also a birth and hormones and something like labor hormones that are only triggered in labor with contractions times the mom's brain uh, to bond to nurture to take on a slower pace so i think oftentimes um, moms sit with very very tricky emotional state plus they have pain which they maybe didn't anticipate because how can you truly be prepared for that and now you have to marry it with a cultural idea or social idea that this is this is the best time of your life and yet that's not what you're experiencing at all but nobody has explained to you but your your body and your physiology and the way your brain primed missed out on a few steps. So Mariette, I think um, it's not about the one is right or the other one, it's about reconnecting the dots again. And I just, if I can maybe just mention here something practically, skin to skin is a phenomenal way to connect the dots. It's a phenomenal way if you did not get to experience a physiological labor and get your body and your hormones and your brain triggered in the right sequence. It is such an incredible opportunity in a simple way to plug in the mom and uh, baby's brain into one another again. It's almost like a catalyst for a lot of hormonal changes in the body and for bonding. And I'm going back to bonding because I think earlier on I emphasized that it's really so important to start from a a place of safety and security. If someone is not sure what skin to skin means, could you just explain that? Absolutely. So it literally means mom's chest is bare or the parent's chest is bare and baby is completely bare and they place skin to skin on each other. So that should ideally happen right after baby is born. So no cleaning, no weighing, no measuring, no nothing, literally from out to on top of the chest and then they can be covered together. And then, so skin to skin is something that really is defined as the first hour after birth. But this is something that can continue for weeks and months after birth. If mom and baby were separated due to medical emergency or necessity, and baby maybe spent weeks in an ICU, then you continue skin to skin as soon as that is possible. Um, The work of Dr. Niels Bergman and Jill Bergman, I definitely want to say um, their names that you have to remember in terms of having a look at the evidence around saving lives and not just saving lives but quality of life when you introduce skin to skin and they have a lot of work and an immense body of knowledge around prematurity so we kind of think of skin to skin as something you do with a stable healthy full-term baby not at all Uh, we tend to think that equipment and an incubator and a lot of statistics keep the baby safe whereas our biology says Um, I work a little bit differently. I want to go back to where I feel safe, where I feel warm, where I am known, and that corrects my immunity and my heart rate and my saturation levels. Yeah, those are names that you have to familiarize yourself with if you truly want to understand how this all ties in together. I understand now why you said that considering which 
birth route and which care provider you're going to choose is a very long process. Yes. Because one needs to study, it seems to me, quite a, a, a large field. Um, maybe not. I hope I'm not making it too complicated, Mariette. Maybe it doesn't have to be so complicated. I think for me, I wanted to understand why there's such a big, big gap between what the research say and what is happening in policy. I see. So I think if you if you can go to someone who can direct you quickly, then it doesn't have to be such an extensive process. But I didn't fi- I didn't find those connections clear. I didn't find that, you know, in my first consultation, all of this was explained to me and all of this, this is, a, it was a very personal long journey for me. But I think I like information. I want to understand. So it appealed to me. But for someone else, it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, that comprehensive. Um, and if you're in the right hands, you would probably find yourself along that route without knowing all the intricate details. I wanted to understand the intricate details. I see. Yeah, so, so I think the rule of thumb is what you said. If you know what you, in which direction you are headed, choose a professional that spends 80% of their time doing that. Then that's a very good rule of thumb. You've mentioned that birth practices in South Africa differ from those in first world countries. And I must say the moment one starts reading a bit about physiological birth, etc., one recognizes this. Could you say more about this difference? Yes. So I found this incredibly interesting. According to the South African Journal of Obstetrics and um, Gynecology, South Africa was the second country with proven success or proven survival of mom and baby after a cesarean section. The second country, Marie, for a third world country, I mean, that is astonishing. And this was in 1826. So we certainly, and I, I, I'm uh, sure most of 1826. the... 1826. 1826. So this wasn't the first time they started um, performing caesarean sections. This started in the 1500s already. But it was the first time they were, there was proven, remember, not, so not the first, but proven survival of both mom and baby. So usually in the years before that, either one survived. It was kind of a last resort to save one of the two. So South Africa obviously has an incredible track record with this, but the pendulum has kind of moved towards the side where, um, before I say that, maybe I should just mention worldwide, the guidelines say one in 10 babies, usually if one in 10 babies are born by cesarean section, we save lives. Outcomes improve and we really, you know, serving humanity to the best. In South Africa, four out of 10 in the in the public sector, so in government hospitals, are born by a caesarean section. That's high for a third world country in a government sector, and seven out of 10 in private sector. So to put that into percentages, uh, 10 to 15% of babies born by a caesarean section out of an entire population, we're saving lives. And remember, we always have to ask, are we saving lives? But then once, once we've uh, gone past the question of, are we saving life? It's what is quality of life? So for the mom and the baby who weren't in a life and death situation, we're not saving lives. Then we have to ask what is the impact on long-term health? And I don't, I don't know if there's enough studies about that. So in South Africa, like I said, we have 40 to 75% being born by cesarean section. A lot of them, either the care provider has advised the mom and the dad, the parents on that route, 
or it is elective, the mom and the dad asked for that. Um, and again, I think the research needs to catch up and to say, do we know what are the long-term implications for mammals? We, we're part of the mam mammalian um, species. When we nitpick which parts of our biology we include and don't include, do we know what the long-term effects are? I don't believe we do. There was one study done and they ran out of funding in America. So we don't have one ongoing study that tracks from birth to the grave what are the implications. What we do know is illness is rising dramatically. And we ha it's not a simple thing to discuss because the, uh, the human race is so vast. Is it pollution? Is it food choices? Is it, you know, you can't, you can't say it's birth choice alone. But somewhere we need to ask the questions. You're talking about the relationship between caesarean section and health. Yes, but it's not only that. It can also be, again, going back to physiological birth, if you meddle all the time, you can make it incredibly traumatic for that mom and baby, and you can make it very difficult for the mom's body to heal. So again, I don't want to say physiological birth is always the best option. I don't want to say caesarean section is always the best option. I really want to take the listener back to, can we get a bit more personal care for every mom and every baby and say from appointment to appointment, can we really be curious about how these two are doing? And, and birth, because birth incorporates hormones, hormones are influenced by emotions, by nutrition, physiologically, um, psychological aspects. Did the mom um, maybe experience sexual abuse somewhere in her life? That can definitely trigger something in birth. It's become so specialized. We only look at stats, heart rate, growth, vitals. And we kind of base all our decisions on that. And I think we're forgetting that we're a lot more than just that. And yes, I can be born with a 9 or 10 out of 10 APGA. That means my vitals are in place. But we don't ask five years down along the line, what is the relationship between the parent and the child? How is that child developing? Gross motor, fine motor, emotionally, socially, cognitively, how is that child doing? And uh, that's why Michel Odo is such an, a huge inspiration to me and Melody both, because he's the first person saying, we need, to, we need to be curious about this. We need to gather all the information we can because we need to understand this better. So in the greater scheme of things, caesarean birth on, on earth has been done for only 0.2% of our time. And I think for most couples in their 20s, 30s in South Africa, the assumption is most definitely it's the safest, most reliable way to do things. And yet the research doesn't say that at all. Mm -hmm. So somewhere again between evidence-based research and birth practices, we just need to marry them a bit better, mm -hmm. I believe, Marie. That's very interesting. So that would take years of, of research. research. Um, maybe I can just link it back to internationally what happens. So going back to the question about South Africa's um, birth culture or birth system rather and international birth systems, if I can, you know, single out the Netherlands, Denmark, Germany, they all have a midwifery model of care. That means the vast majority of their population are seen by midwives, the babies are born physiologically or some somewhere on that, you know, within that field. Just generally they they still view birth as a very natural part of 
the way we do things in this country. In South Africa, not. And what, what I find very interesting is um, a, a highly medicalized birth environment costs a lot of money. It's a very strange choice in a third world country. It actually doesn't make a lot of sense. It doesn't make sense for the masses in terms of health. It doesn't make sense for the masses in terms of economics. So I'm not quite sure how we ended up there, to be mm. honest. Mm. Cosette, which questions should a couple prepare for the first consultation with their care provider? So uh, if you already have an idea of where you would like to head with your birth, it's already going to, to tweak you know, the questions you ask. But I would start off with asking what are the routine procedures you recommend? And I would hope the care provider would say nothing routinely because every mom and baby are individuals. You know, I'm in my ideal bubble. Um, but I think that would make me very happy and very feel very safe with that care provider because they don't have preconceived ideas of how this needs to follow. So then if you have a, a clearer idea of the birth route, a physiological birth or a cesarean section, you would tweak your questions to, to fit there. But what applies to both of those routes would be, are there any routine interventions um, with starting this labor. So if it's a physiological birth, is there induction that becomes compulsory when I reach a certain week of pregnancy? At what week of pregnancy would we plan cesarean section? So this is important because every week, every day in utero is incredible for brain growth and for health and immunity. So you'd ideally like to leave that as late as possible. So again, um, on my search for information, I didn't know this varies from care provider to care provider. I thought this is very much fixed. You know, if a gynae said 38 weeks is a section, all gynees would say that. If a midwife said induction at 40 weeks, all would say the same, not at all. And I think this is, it's important to understand the implication. So for instance, I wanted a home birth. If an induction becomes mandatory, you no longer can uh, birth at home because it's a medical intervention and labor becomes unpredictable. So you kind of have to understand the cascade of intervention. And it's really due to protocol, not necessarily due to necessity. So you have to understand this. In my own first pregnancy, I changed midwives in my pregnancy. And that's stressful because you've, you're going to lose money when you change care providers because you paid a birth deposit and you're going to lose that. So it's stressful to change that. So that's why I say ideally, the earlier on, even before pregnancy, the better. It's not stressful. You're not going to lose money. It becomes an easier process forward. I would definitely like to ask um, if I do opt for cesarean section, is something like a sensitive cesarean section a possibility? And I think it's self-explanatory. It means we try to take the mom and baby as much into consideration as possible instead of just seeing it as a procedure. Is skin to skin a possibility? Is there eye contact between mom and baby? Can mom see the baby through the drapes? I don't know, I'm assuming delayed cord clamping isn't a possibility with cesarean section. I don't know enough about that. But but how how to what extent can we mimic our biology in these decisions, if that makes sense, um, Mariette? Yeah, and then one needs a little information on how biology works. What I'll do, I'll also attach to this podcast an article on my website that I wrote with you 
which sheds more light on the birthing process okay. and the Thank hormones you. and yeah because you've touched on that but we don't have time to go into that yes. now so yes. I would suggest that anybody who wants to know more can follow the link to that written article okay. which they can read and um, Maria can I maybe mention something more there I think because the decision-making process is so unique to every parenting couple, I would really, and this is more my childbirth educators have, I would really like to encourage them to use a decision-making model. So there's something just the acronym BRAIN appeals to me. So the, the acronym BRAIN stands for benefits, risks, alternatives, intuition, and next steps. And we can also attach a document um, like a worksheet about yes, this. Yes, thank you. And this is not only very helpful in pregnancy, but in parenting. So in pregnancy, cesarean section or physiological birth, what are the benefits? What are the risks? What are um, brain? <laughs> alternatives? Sometimes there's not an alternative, it's the one or the other. What does my intuition say? And this is very interesting, after your conversation about preconceived ideas, family history, you know, your unconscious belief system, fears. And then next steps, sometimes the next step is, I need more time. I need to talk with a professional or now I want to make a decision. Um, but that same model is so applicable even in parenting. I need to choose a preschool. So benefits and risk would now maybe become pros and cons. But alternatives... What does my intuition say and what are the next steps? That so sounds sensible. Yes, it's a wonderful way of just breaking it down a bit and just gathering your thoughts and putting it onto pen and paper. And also parents differ. You know what one one parent typically, not typically, but often in my, in my relationship definitely, one is a lot more intuitive, another one likes to have the facts. And it, it can become very stressful to kind of negotiate this really. Um, and then I think a model where we breathe, where we put things on paper, where we gather information, just really becomes very helpful. Thank you. Yeah, I'll get that form from you and attach it to the podcast notes. Thank you. Now, you've mentioned instinct. Parents-to-be are often told that should follow their instinct, but how can they be sure this will be in their baby's best interests? Yeah, that is quite a loaded question, but a very important one. So if you want to ensure that your parenting brain is switched on, we have to understand our biology and that we are part of mammals. And um, that birth, and very specifically an unmedicated birth, triggers that. I touched on this earlier on. But then, if that was not an option due to choice or medical necessity, we're always going to ask, what is our next best step? Guilt helps no one. And there's always options within the next best step. So within the next best step, what can we now do? So I've touched on the incredible importance of skin to skin. That's our next best step. Then breastfeeding is our next best step. If that's not a possibility, what then? I think that is where it's very um, helpful to have a relationship with a care provider to, to help you along that way. Because you are in a, in a place where you need to adjust. Um, it is difficult to take to make decisions and take information in and make sense of it, especially marrying it with, um, this is not what I expected, this is not what I planned. Um, so it can be very daunting. And that's why with Baby Gym specifically, we have a Baby Gym One program, where it's not, it's, it's where we start in pregnancy. And it's not really to say, we're going to start working on this baby in pregnancy. It's really, let's start with 
the conversations. Let's start with making the parent aware. And when they do come to this place, awareness already brings calm. It already brings a sense of, I know who to ask, I don't have to know all the answers. But I also, very importantly, have practical tools. I know how to um, hold my baby skin to skin. I know a few practical tricks to get this baby to suckle, whether that's on the breast or on the bottle. Because if a baby is not suckling, they're losing weight, they're poorly, they're not going to make it out of the hospital um, soon. So it it's, so, seems simple, but it's really, it's really the difference between effortless start to life, where I can breathe, where I can bond, where I can make eye contact and joy, or where it's crisis decision to crisis decision and just keeping my head above water. And so often, you know, parents don't understand that the starting, the starting weeks are really the most fundamental. They're incredibly important in terms of brain development and bonding. Um, and we want to bring that awareness and we want to offer tools. What I like knowing about many of Melody's programs, I have quite a few podcasts with her, is that they are neuroscience based. But there's also a huge element of human care. You know, caring about the parents and caring about the baby. So what I like about this, if you talk about a program like the Baby Gym, what do you call it? Baby Gym One. What I like about this is that it comes from a neuroscientific perspective. So the brain, the program is based on how the development would unfold naturally. That is what it is based on. And then there will be support for the parent. That is so beautifully worded, Mariette. And you've just given me the intro to my next thought, which is um, I can maybe share with the listeners that just in the first year what the brain growth and weight looks like. Just to put it into like something concrete, if we, if we may. So the newborn baby, the average, now averages, <laughs> who's an average? But the average newborn baby's brain weighs 350 grams. By one year, that is one kilogram, so it's tripled in, almost tripled in size. By six years, it's 1.2. So between one and six years and five is only 200 grams, whereas in the first 12 months, it was 650 grams. And then the adult brain is between 1.4 and 1.5. So I, I really hope listeners can fathom that in the first year of life, it is an incredible sensitive time frame um, to shape the brain. And when we, shape, when we talk about shaping the brain, we're not talking about words and numbers and colors and shapes. We're talking about the basic, basic wiring that's going to enable age-appropriate learning and development throughout life. So it's definitely not hothousing a baby. It's not putting extra stress. It's really becoming mindful, again, about our biology. And what are the natural things the natural conditions in which the brain and the body system thrives. And once you set that up, then the child starts to um, dictate their learning and their interest and where they go and where they learn more and explore more. And then you've really set up a child for lifelong self-directed learning, which I think in our modern times is very, very important. You don't want to be the one that says, now you need to learn, this is what you need to learn. It's not the way we, our biology is geared toward, towards learning, thriving. And I think when parents have their tools like I have as a parent, again, you really start to enjoy it because your child is enjoying it. And as soon as there's enjoyment and there's joy, it becomes effortless. 
And I think that's what we want, is we want parenting, although again it's hard, there is a loss of sleep, we want parents and children to be joyous and enjoy it and be healthy and be happy and well-rounded. And for that you have to have the long-term view and understanding of how that, this works. But uh, Marietta, I hope I'm really not um, putting parents off to thinking, I have to learn so much, I have to... Not really. It's basics and it's, it's simple. But it is very precise, if I can put it that way. Yes, that's very well put, because that is exactly how I view the baby gym programs. It's, it's like Melody always says, it's biomimicry. It is. So it looks at what nature does at any rate and then mimics that. Absolutely. And follow that route. Yes. And that makes it, that makes it more effortless than, than going the other route. Absolutely. Yeah. And maybe, Marietta, I can just go back to your question about how do we know my instinct is accurate. I think, first of all, if you understand your own body's you know, sequence of triggers and becoming really an instinctive parent, that helps. But also, in decision-making, be aware of the brain and the body and development. So I can use a, a silly little example. Um, I said my children are three and one, so I'm very much in the years of sleep deprivation. And there's obviously numerous ways of approaching, you know, how do I, how do I, I don't want to say deal with this because it sounds like a project, with, which often it is. Um, but I only learned recently that the pineal gland, which is, uh, which is responsible for the secretion of a melatonin and which obviously plays a role in sleep, is only fully formed at three years of age. Oh. Yes. I didn't know that. Neither did I. So I wonder if parents had information like that, if it would change their expectation, it would change their approach, it would make them less anxious. Because I remember my first, in hindsight, was a much better sleeper than my second. But my husband and my mom often say, you, you handle the seconds much better. And I honestly believe it's only because I have a different expectation. So sometimes we put very unrealistic almost expectations on ourselves. Nobody else put that on me. I put that on myself. And then the kind of dialogue in your mind becomes, what am I doing wrong? Why can't I figure this out? And meanwhile, there's a very, very important biological reason behind this behavior. I'm not saying we shouldn't ask, how can I facilitate my, my child's day-to-day -day routine and rhythm to facilitate sleep maybe better? Those are good questions to ask. But maybe if we understand development and biology better, we would have a lot more grace for, for young families and for supporting one another, rather than these are time limits, these are time frames, this is how you approach it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we kind of turn them into little soldiers. Um, and it takes a lot of the joy out of these early years. Exactly. It's the joy that goes. Yes. How can a couple shape their lives and home environment so they can attain their parenting ideals and not merely function in survival mode, because I think one often just lands in survival mode. So, Marie, when you ask that, I, I jump to a page and I play Learn Grow book, which is, it calls for space and time for the toddler. And I want to say, uh, new parents' needs are very similar to a toddler's developmental <laughs> needs, because it's a huge time of transition and adapting and learning. It really is. And in that time with a toddler, we talk about the balance between um, space and time. So what would that mean? That would mean physical space to move and time in terms of 
there's, there's some movements and how quickly something needs to happen. So to make this very practical, my second born was a very fussy little newborn baby. It was really a very tough time. He was in my arms 20, 20 hours a day and he was a big boy. So it was physically very hard. And when you're physically tired and sleep deprived, obviously emotionally, you know, there's a toll. But it was in a time in my life where I literally <laughs> live in a home with long passages. And I can't tell you, Mariette, how many times when I paced those passages with him in my arms, I literally said out loud, thank you, thank you, thank you for these long passages because it calms me, it calms my baby, and we are actually coping quite well. In fact, I can find space in my day to enjoy this newborn phase, where I think if I had a two by two meter room, how, how, how physically would I cope with, with this situation? So having that physical space to move, to find your rhythm, going outside, having your face in the sun, you know, for, for certain parts of the day, seeing green space. So if you have that in your own home environment, great. But maybe you can find um, time and space in your day to safely move your baby to a green area, whether that's a park, whether that's to a friend or family member's, you know, a garden, but where you can be outside, I can't fathom this, and I'm sure someone listening would know how to, how to explain this, but when you take a child outside, they calm down. Whether it's a newborn, whether it's a toddler, whether it's yourself, you calm down, and I'm not, not talking about a courtyard, I'm talking about a green space outside, where there's plants, where there's greenery, but also where they're kind of allowed to scream. When you have a, a neighbor in very close proximity, you're so aware of the noise levels all the time, never mind your own ears and your own needs to, for, you know, peace and quiet. You're so aware of how this newborn baby, that's actually just instinctively reacting and, and communicating their needs. Your behavior changes to let's minimize this noise. And I hope what I'm trying to say makes sense, that it brings a lot of stress and a way of approaching parenting and dealing with this baby versus... Let, let me understand your need. Let me try and take care of your need. So when there's space, that changes, that dynamic changes. When there's time, so if you're under a lot of work pressure, when there's relationship stresses, um, it becomes very difficult to be flexible and to adapt and to just see where this goes and how it unfolds. So if there is, again, we're talking about ideals, but if there's any way that you can give yourself, and this is physical months space, where I say this is a grace period where we acknowledge we are going to have to adapt. It's something we have never experienced before. Um, always with great change comes great stress. Even if we believe it is the best time of your life, your body and your biology might experience this as incredibly traumatic. And that is perfectly okay. I don't know if society always creates that space where uh, it's okay to say, this is really very different to what I expected and I'm struggling. So again, I think it goes back to setting up your physical you know, areas, your time limits. Is it reasonable towards the baby to say, I'm going to keep on attending all my meetings with the newborn? I don't think that's kind to yourself and to your baby because it's unpredictable. And w without, rationally you might think, but it's only 15 minutes a day, I can do it. Emotionally and physically, it has a very big implication. It's not just 15 minutes a day. So be really practical about it. And again, go back to your brain model. If there are times that you have to make decisions you couldn't anticipate, you need to get more support, ask. 
Is there a friend or family member who can support? Can I uh, consider a night nurse? Considering my baby's going through a very sensitive brain developmental stage in their life, are there ways that I can separate my demands from the baby's needs? Because I think we try to kind of... <laughs> Combine those. Yes. Yes, that's yes. true. And I think that's where support plays a role. And usually older generations are in a very different space and time, you know, environment in their life. They have a bit more space. They have a bit more freedom. And that's why grandparents often say, I enjoy grandparenting a lot more than being a parent. Well, you have a lot less stress financial, or usually, I'm obviously generalizing, but have a lot less financial stress, time stress, relationship stress, um, and that makes a difference. And knowing whether this child is going to survive your parenting. Absolutely. At least when you're a grandparent, usually it, it did turn out well. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. But I think it's also okay to say someone else's ideals, family ideals, don't have to be mine. It's really about finding your ideals and marrying your spouses or your, your partners and yours and and really being open to the child's guidance. My two children are completely different beings. So the second time around, you might anticipate that it's going to be a lot easier. In certain regards, it is. I think sleeping, feeding, the basic things are easier. But in terms of understanding the child and meeting their needs, it's not, it's not necessarily. And we should, again, never, um, <laughs> what is the word? We shouldn't um, lose our awe in this process because it is a magical, magical time. Thank you, Cosette. Where can listeners learn more about your work? So the Baby Gym website is www.babygym.co.za. We have a very active Facebook page and Instagram page, uh, which is called Baby Gym Institute International. And then the child, earth, the child birth, child earth, I quite like that. Yes. Child birth education side of my work. I have a website titled Sensible Birth. And there I try to direct the viewers to the most fundamental articles, in my opinion. There's also a mention of a documentary called Microbirth, which does a wonderful job of explaining how our birth culture influences our gut health, oh. which I think people don't know enough about. Um, and gut health obviously has a long-term implication for immunity and brain health and a mental illness. So it is, it is really fascinating links. So I try to put things that I, I think are essential starting blocks, I try to put onto the Sensible Birth page. But like I said, I don't really, you know, practice as a childbirth educator and a birth doula right now. But if someone needs conversation, I would definitely be open to, to speaking to them. Thank you. And they can get to you through your website or your Facebook page. Yes. Are you ready for your fun question? I am. Because <laughs> I happen to know that you have a lovely singing voice. In an ideal world, if you didn't need to be practical, with which singer or group or choir would you just love singing on stage? How incredible. How do you know I have a singing voice, Marie? Because we've sung together in the choir. Oh, true. Okay. Uh, well, I think it depends on my mood. So um, I would love like an um, upbeat choir if I felt like jiving and dancing. Um, jiving and dancing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Yeah, it, what a fascinating question. There, there are so many, you know, different genres of music I enjoy that it's, it's really, it depends on, I see it's, on the mood. I see it's going to be this one and this one. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Like Michael Bublé would definitely be there somewhere. Nora Jones would be there. Um, yeah, there's so many, so many very talented Afrikaans musicians that would have to feature there somewhere. Um, I think it depends. If I'm on a farm somewhere, it would be Afrikaans around mm. the fire. Mm. So it appears, it totally depends. <laughs> but interestingly that you asked that question, since becoming a mom, I find myself singing a lot more. And I think it's for the children's benefit, but it's very often to call myself. Mm. <laughs> that's, a, that's a wonderful idea. Yes. Yeah. Thank you, Cosette, for taking the time to talk about the path to parenthood, which I see is very complex. But thank you for clarifying certain issues and giving practical advice as well and then pointers to where we can get information. And then what will stay f- with me from our conversation is the emphasis you put on joy. Thank you, Mariette. And I, I think that is so important. I think, oh, I, I hope I haven't made it too complicated because my, my mind is like, it's like fireworks. So I hope what comes over is not just complicated in a lot of areas but like you said that our bodies and our brains are incredibly instrumental to parenting and when we take take things slower and we are kind towards ourselves and we take time to really discern and gather information and make decisions joy follows and I'm not saying we have to follow a recipe to have joy I'm just saying they're not separate things and uh, I, I truly hope that parenting and families become a place of joy. Thank you. Thank you. And to our listeners, it was good of you to join us. I would really appreciate it if you'd subscribe to Calm, Clear and Helpful and rate it where you download your podcasts. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with someone you care about. If you'd like a more fulfilling relationship with your beloved If you wish parenting could be easier, or if you're interested in upping your emotional well-being, you're welcome to visit my website, mariettesneyman.co.za, for free articles and podcast episodes. Calm, Clear and Helpful is compiled, hosted and edited by me, and the music is by Mart-Marie Sneyman. Catch you next Tuesday at 9.00.